Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hi, I'm Tom Butler. And I'm Brendan Duffy. You're listening to the James Bond A to Z podcast. Join us on this journey of discovery across the world of the 007 movies as we take an encyclopedic look at cinema's greatest spy films. We'll learn about the people who made them in front of the camera and behind, from Ken Adam to Max Zorin, with the occasional detour down a few rabbit holes. And we'll sometimes be joined by guests with unique insight into the world of Bond. This podcast is in no way affiliated with the James Bond brand, E.ON, or the Fleming Estate. We do our best to make sure the information is accurate, but sometimes we do get it wrong. If you want to correct us on something, or add some more detail, email us on podcast at jamesbond80z.co.uk. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the James Bond A to Z podcast, where we have reached the letter Q. My name is Tom Butler and making his chaotic return to the show to explore the 17th letter of the James Bond world. It's the quirky yet quintessential Mr. Brendan Duffy. Hello, you don't make it easy for yourself, do you? (laughs) And back by popular demand, it's the quizzical and eminently quotable Mr. Mark Harrison. Hi, Tom. Quirking and quivering with excitement to be here. Exactly. That was a bit much, but the camera cue. <laughs> exactly. As you would expect, this episode is going to be dominated by the character and gadgets of Q. If you're here for the Quarrel banter, uh, we covered Quarrel and Quarrel Junior uh, in our previous episodes on Doctor No and Live and Let Die. So you can return to those episodes if you do want a, more of your Q fix. Uh, just before we kick off, uh, as uh, you all know, we're looking for your underappreciated James Bond movie moments for our upcoming 60th anniversary episode. So if you want to get involved, and I do urge that you do, uh, record an audio clip using your phone, uh, telling us who you are, what your underappreciated James Bond movie moment is, and why you love it, and send it to us on podcast at jamesbond8z.co.uk. And if you send us an entry, we've had a few decent ones already. If you send us one, I'll send you a sticker in return. So how's that for a deal? Sounds like a great deal. They... Um... They should get inspired by this this episode as well, to be honest. There are lots of great moments, yeah. Hmm. So, 
Now, a uh, friend of the show, John Cork, in the James Bond encyclopedia, he says, King Arthur had Merlin, James Bond had Q. With Major Boothroyd, 007 does not need magic spells to accomplish a mission. So I think that's quite an, an apt way of summing up Q. What do you think? Yeah, it's beautifully put. It's um, the Merlin thing, especially. Yeah. Um, which is something or other, isn't it? It's a Kingsman that has like the version of Q. It's just called Merlin as well, straightforwardly. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah I've forgotten about that. Yeah. Hmm. Um, and, and Desmond Llewellyn, obviously. I mean, he's the one that everyone thinks of when they think of Q. Uh, casts a huge shadow over the series. What is it? Seventeen appearances. Yeah, hmm, yeah like seventeen, that. and and really just a staple of of the franchise, wasn't he? Yeah, um, one of the few people that sort of carried on from the old regime to the new regime. Sadly missed, of course. But let's kick things off by looking at where the character of Q came from. Yeah, so um, Ian Fleming, creator of James Bond, of course, um, was. Before and after, Frozen author was involved in British intelligence operations, involved in the Special Operations Executive uh, in particular during World War Two. So espionage and that kind of thing. And um, in his experience there, there are three key figures who are kind of built as the as the inspiration for Q, as we know as the, in the films, the, the core master who gives Bond all of his various gadgets, etc. Kind of starts out in the very first film, just kind of as an armourer, and then just over time grows into this into this uh, character who comes out of... Obviously, the movies kind of amp it up as well. Um, but as I say, three figures from Fleming's time and Special Operations Executive that influenced the key one um, is Charles Fraser Smith, uh, who's an author who was born in 1904 and during the war worked for the Ministry of Supply during World War Two. The Ministry of Supply being the closest thing, the closest counterpart in real life to, to Q Branch, as it became known uh, in the Bond books and films. Uh, Fraser Smith came from modest beginnings. Uh, he was orphaned at the age of seven and adopted by a family of Christian missionaries uh, who brought him up in Hertfordshire. Um, it's the school report at the time that said he was scholastically useless, except for woodwork and science and making things. <laughs> Ex- you know, except for woodwork, science and making things. I don't know about you, but I'm not. I'm not as good at that. But I, I wouldn't be as. It would hardly be useless in his in his later career. Um, but after leaving school, he worked in a variety of different professions. He worked as a teacher, as a motorcycle messenger, as an aircraft factory worker, and then had a spell as a Christian missionary influenced by his family in Morocco. When he returned to England in 1939, he gave a Sunday sermon at a church in Leeds where he described his knack for bricolage, the art of making things from whatever happens to be available, um, which he used while he was overseas. Uh, at that sermon, he was recruited for what he called a funny job in London by two men from the Ministry of Supply. <laughs> <laughs> funny job in London being yeah um, so, so recruited by two men from the Ministry of Supply who were impressed by the sermon and want to utilise his talents in, in what would then be the war effort over the next few years so while his official job was for the Ministry of Textiles that was a cover for his actual role working for MI6 and the SOE creating gadgets and devices that would either help agents gather information in occupied Europe or help prisoners of war escape from uh, POW camps so, um, for instance, like for agency, come up with things like miniature cameras hidden inside cigarette lighters with a film concealed in toiletries. And that um, another big part of the war effort was getting um, getting escape boxes to prisoners. Uh, so it would be like hairbrushes containing a map and a saw or steel shoelaces that could be used as garrots or for cutting other things. Like uh, Fraser Smith would call these gadgets Q devices. Uh, he got the idea from Q ships, which were... Merchant ships that were sent out with heavy arms, so that submarines 
would German submarines would surface during the First World War and attack them, and they'd have arms to fire back, um, sort of to combat the sort of um, attacks on blockheads and stuff. Uh, so Fraser Smith, a huge figure in this, he's um, he, as far as his work with Fleming um, in twenty twenty two, we just had a film about this. Uh, we just had the World War Two movie Operation Mincemeat. Have either of you seen that? I have. I'm yeah. reading the book at the moment, actually. Yeah. Horrific. Um, it stars uh, Johnny Flynn as Ian Fleming during his days working for British intelligence. I, I don't mind Johnny Flynn, but he was in, I don't know if you remember these, but he was in those Cineworld adverts a few years ago. <laughs> now, all, all I can all I can really, every time I hear his name or see his face, I only think is a bit where it those ads where he's sat at a table with a couple, just really obvious third wheel, <laughs> just uh, time for a tasty debrief. So anyway... <laughs> On this tasty debrief, um, Fleming is involved in Operation Mincemeat, which is a scheme distracting the Nazis, drawing them away from Sicily in order to enable an Allied invasion of Europe via the island. Uh, this involved planting do- false documents on a corpse and letting the enemy find it on the shores of Sicily so that they'd think that they'd picked up some intelligence and divert their forces. So in this film, this um, this film version of it, you don't have Fraser Smith as a character, you do have Fleming as a character and the assorted... Um, Assorted forces use Q Branch to create a waterproof tube for the documents to make sure they're not destroyed in the water. Um, Fraser Smith's real contribution was the invention of a trunk where the body would be preserved so they could transport it to Sicily, uh, where at the need for refrigeration, which was achieved by filling it with dry ice, which then, when it evaporated, took out the oxygen, filled it with CO2, preserved the body. So, you know, instrumental part of that operation and obviously an, an influence on, on Fleming. Um, I mentioned there's two other figures involved in in uh, the Ministry of Supply. Uh, Christopher Clayton Hutton is another figure who's um, who's often cited. He specialised in escape and evasion. Um, there was a kind of um, a notion that you know when you send in um, soldiers out in Europe, if if you get captured, make every effort to escape. Don't sit out the war. There'd be these ingenious things like creating fabric maps that you could um, sew into uniforms and stuff, so that you'd have like maps in order to to know where you're going. There'd be concealed compasses inside things like safety razors, collar studs, bot stoppers. It's all about being escape-minded, as they put it. Um, I mentioned Clayton Hutton because one of his things was reversible uniforms, like the one from the pre-titles of Octopussy. Ah. As ridiculous as uh, it seems in that pre-title, it's got a, it's got a precedent. There was um, reversible uniforms where so the other side would be like a Luftwaffe uniform uh, for escapees. The other figure worth mentioning is Major Jasper uh, Maskelin, who was a stage magician uh, who invented secret sabotage and substitutes. Pardon me. Uh, the other major figure to mention is Jasper Maskelin, who was a stage magician who invented secret sabotage and subterfuge devices for MI9. Uh, he volunteered his talent in the war efforts uh, for camouflage with his devices that he made for his stage acts. Um, there's been official records seem to contradict a lot of his accounts about his contribution to the war effort. That's worth mentioning, but he was demonstrably involved in the escape boxes efforts and specifically with printing tiny maps on playing cards. So that um, so it's like a, it's if like it's something like if you wet the card, then the maps revealed. So things like that. Um, in terms of the books, Q Branch pops up in the books. Uh, First mentioned in Casino Royale and Live and Let Die, referring more to a branch than a person. Um, a quartermaster figure didn't come in until six novels in. Uh, this was after a Scottish firearms expert, an Ian Fleming fan called Geoffrey Boothroyd, wrote to Ian Fleming to say that Bond wasn't using the best firearms available in the books. Uh, as tribute and thanks to him, Fleming named the quartermaster in the next book, Dr. No, uh, Major Boothroyd, which was the sixth novel, but the first film.
Yeah, it was the first film, and so they included the character of Major Boothroyd, uh, played by Peter Burton. Um, and in this, he does he he d- does the same thing as the what was the guy's name? First name Je- Jeffrey Boothroyd. Jeffrey Boothroyd. Yeah, so he basically just yeah does the same thing. He says that Bond's gun isn't good enough. Replaces <laughs> his Beretta with uh, with a Walther PPK. Nice and light in the lady's handbag. No stopping power. Any comment, 007? I disagree, sir. I've used the Beretta for 10 years. Show him, Armour. Walter PPK. 7.65 mil with a delivery like a brick through a plate glass window. Takes a Brouch silencer with very little reduction in muzzle velocity. The American CIA swear by them. Thank you, Major Boothroyd. Thank you, sir. Good night, sir. That's all he does in that film. Um played by Peter Burton, who um, was an English film and TV actor. Um, He also made two uncredited appearances in Bond films as an RAF officer in Thunderball. Oh, really? Yep, and also a secret agent in Casino Royale, 1967. Uh Um, uh, He was, because he was, you know, Around at the time, the 60s, 70s, he was in those TV shows, the classics, you know, The Avengers, The Saint, Return of the Saint, UFO. Mm. Um, so just a a, a a jobbing actor throughout his career. But um, yeah, really, really short scene. But um, but yeah, Bob Bond decides to uh, keep both guns, doesn't he? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, because I think it's the Beretta first, isn't it? That's the, the Beretta, yeah. yeah. And he tries to take it as well. Yeah, and, uh, it's quite it, the gun plays quite a big part in the books. I seem to remember, um, and I think Fleming felt quite chastised when this guy approached him, but also uh, recognised that he had more authority on it. And so mm-hmm. it's interesting they made it into book and then then made it into the film. It sort of becomes part of the history, then, doesn't it? Yeah, because yeah. the the gun that it, what you know he gave him was became iconic with the character of Bond. So then, moving forward onto the the next film. The producers actually wanted Peter Burton to reprise the role, but unfortunately he was busy on making another film, so he was unable to do it. Annoyingly for him, the, the film he was working on never actually got completed. Oh. Um, so that must be <laughs> quite frustrating for him, especially yeah. when you see what happened to the character of Q. Terence Young basically approached who he'd worked with before. He'd worked with Des- Desmond Llewellyn before, um, and he approached him. And he wanted him to play it with a Welsh accent. And I think I did cover this on From Russia With Love. But Desmond Llewellyn preferred to play him as a toffee-nosed Englishman. And he said, at a risk of losing the part and with silent apologies to my native land, I launched into Q's lines using the worst Welsh accent, followed by the same in English. <laughs> so basically, he sort of cancelled himself out of getting the, the get, having to play it in Welsh. So yeah, he makes the appearance uh, at the beginning of From Russia With Love and it's a fantastic scene, isn't it? When he exp- he's explaining the attaché case. On the side here, flat throwing knife. Press that button there, now she comes. Inside the case, you'll find an AR-7 folding sniper's rifle, 0.25 caliber, with an infrared telescopic sight. Then if you pull out these straps, Inside are 50 gold sovereigns, 25 in either side. Now, watch very carefully. An ordinary tin of talcum powder. Inside, a tear gas cartridge. 
That goes in the case against the side here like that. It's magnetized, so it won't fall. Shut the case. Now, normally, to open a case like that, you move the catches to the side. If you do, the cartridge will explode in your face. Now, to stop the cartridge exploding, turn the catches horizontally, like that. Then, open normally. Yeah, it's, it's part of that. Part of that film is is, is that, um, and something that we talk about a lot is is how gra grounded in reality that film seems to be. Mm -hmm. And yeah. when you see the attaché case with all the bits and bobs in it, it feels like something very uh, realistic and yeah, usable, yeah. usable. And that's the it's beauty sort of, of it, isn't it? Yeah, it's sort of like a big version of the escape boxes because they would send them out in like cigarette cases and have to cram as much as they could into these little things that the prisoners of war could get hold of. With a briefcase, you've got room for all sorts. <laughs> you've got room for 50 gold sovereigns, aside from anything else, but it's like yeah. for rifle, all of that stuff. <laughs> The, the 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 great thing is the part it plays in the actual plot as well because it's a standard mm. issue so all double o agents have it it's it's integral to the uh, especially the the scene on the train which we bang on about um yeah. but it, yeah it's it's fantastic um in terms of the screen credit um this one just he's credited as boothroyd so he's not actually referred to as q in this one but he's just introduced as being from q branch so moving forward to the next film, Goldfinger, Guy Hamilton, he was the director and he he wanted to change the approach to the way that he uh, Q was played. And Desmond went and said, previously, I played Q as a toffee-nosed technician, more than slightly in awe of Bond. Hamilton changed that approach. This man annoys you. He's irritatingly flippant and doesn't treat your gadgets with respect. Deep down, you may envy his charm with women, but remember, you're the teacher. And so that really changed everything didn't it and we we also talk about goldfinger as creating that blueprint and changing everything for bond um mm. and this was another thing it, it it set up the character of q to how he would be played moving forward you'll be using this aston martin db5 modifications now pay attention please reception on the dashboard here Visual range 150 miles. Ingenious, useful too. Allow a man to stop off for a quick one en route. It has not been perfected out of years of patient research entirely for that purpose, 007. And incidentally, we'd appreciate its return, along with all your other equipment. Intact for once when you return from the field. Well, you'd be surprised the amount of wear and tear that goes on out there in the field. Anything else? Well, I won't keep it for more than an hour or so, if you give me your undivided attention. We've installed some rather interesting modifications. Now, this one I'm particularly keen about. You see the gear lever here? Now, if you take the top off, you'll find a little red button. Whatever you do, don't touch it. No, why not? Because you'll release this section of the roof and engage and fire the passenger ejector seat. Ejector seat? You're joking. I never joke about my work, 007. Yeah, basi basically up until, I think, the Timothy Dalton era, I think it sort of is the template, isn't it? I think it sort mm -hmm. of changes a little bit in that era um, to a more uncoy type figure. Um, yeah. Mm. But he, Terence Young absolutely nailed it, didn't he? Oh, sorry, Guy Hamilton absolutely nailed it. Like, Yeah. Yeah. Either by accident or, yeah, by uh, by design. It, uh, it mm. really... Um, 
Well, as we say, Goldfinger, that's the one that sets the template up for the rest of the film. And that is one of the key parts of that film that continues to this day, really. Yeah, it's it's the one with the, you know, the whole, like, when ejector seat is first moved, it's literally ejector seat, you must be joking. And that becomes a template for ever escalating background nonsense. <laughs> Cue yeah. Bradshaw in each of these films. Yeah, because we also see the gas par- parking meter that, gases people don't we in that scene yes. as well yeah yeah and you get the sense of it him having his own sort of lab and or, mm-hmm. or workshop or whatever um mm. it all comes together in goldfinger doesn't it yeah and desmond Llewellyn is the first time he really gets to properly play q um mm. and he does a great job to be honest that the, the annoyance of when he says i never joke about my work double seven is you really feel it so moving forward to thunderball um, we see him in a blue Hawaiian shirt, which has pineapples on it. <laughs> Important Iconic. <laughs> it's just because I, I noticed it when I watched it at the cinema a couple of months ago. You really notice it on the big screen. Yeah, so this is his first appearance being out on the field, providing Bond with his equipment. You only live twice. Again, he goes out on the field to demonstrate little Nelly and to supervise the assembly, which is... It's that really weird, it, it's sort of shot. It's a time-lapse, isn't it? Time-lapse yeah. of it being built, yeah. yeah. It's quite jarring. On the Majesty's Secret Service, of course, that's where Bond gets married, and um, there's some, some nice dialogue uh, from Q in that one. Congratulations, 007. I must confess that I've sometimes thought you a little... Um... Irresponsible? Exactly, that's exactly the word. Thank you. This time, my boy, I can't complain. Nor can I. Look, James... I know that we haven't always exactly seen... Well, anyway, don't forget, if there's anything you ever need... Thank you, Q, but this time I've got the gadgets. I know how to use them. And it's sort of the, the, the sort of the glimpse behind, you know, into the real Q, isn't it? You know, he does have a fondness yeah. for Bond. Yeah, it's softer, it's more it's more friendly, but then by the next <laughs> film, it's Connery back and they're just back to bickering. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, Connery's back for Diamonds Are Forever and they're... Um, He's got some. He's got some pointless gadgets in this one, hasn't he? He's got the, the voice alteration machine, <laughs> <laughs> just, just pointless. Um, and the uh, the gadget that he's been wanting to try out the ring, the magnetic ring, so he can cheat all the uh, casino machines. <laughs> Why? Why is he making that? <laughs> it's it's got to be said. Like I adore in any film, really. I don't think there's any film where it's done badly. I adore field cue. Like Desmond Llewellyn getting out there, like any like license to kill, where he just looks so sad every time he tells, "Go home, Q." <laughs> but then, yeah, in Diamonds Are Forever, just going around and gaming all the machines, beautiful. Yeah, I, I remember in the Diamonds episode that we did, he he had a really good time just wandering around the casinos, gambling and seeing all the shows and all that sort of yeah. stuff. So you can just tell he just loves being out there, doesn't he? Mm. So on Live and Let Die, it's, it's the first absence since he started the role. And, and this was, if you go back to our Live and Let Die episode, this was all because they wanted to sort of step away from, not only step away from the gadgets, but they wanted to step away from Connery's Bond. And so any sort of similarity between uh, the way Connery played Bond was stripped away from this um, to really distance mm. themselves. So we just get a reference to uh, Q's repaired his watch, um, the magnetic watch. And there are gadgets, but we we don't see him on screen. Uh, Desmond Llewellyn actually did make time to be able to be available for this, and he was annoyed that he wasn't involved. But if you go back to the Live and Let Die episode, you can uh, listen listen for more on that. He was back for the Man with the Golden Gun, 
And uh, just talking about Roger Moore, he said, of course, I knew Roger and he was great fun to work with. He used to muck about an awful lot and he used to give me extra lines to say that I didn't understand. When I did a close-up, he'd stand there shaking his head as if to say, you're going to forget a line, aren't you? And of course, <laughs> and of course, I immediately would. And he'd shove a big idiot card saying, bollocks. He wasn't very helpful. <laughs> Classic Roger there. <laughs> so in Man with the Golden Gun, Q uh, identifies the, the bullet, um, which then sort of the, the plot thickens after that. Spy Love Me, we have the, uh, the Lotus. Which, yes. uh, and then he's in his workshop in Egypt. Um, so more field cue. Field um, cue. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, not quite. Is it? Is it this one where it sort of starts with, like, there'll be a format. They'll sort of like they'll, they'll be in some headquarters out and about. But cue branch, it'll be like there'll be some demonstration of something. Like it'll be like a buffet table. And someone puts a sausage in a bun and it explodes and it goes, very good, have that ready for Her Highness's Quinceanera or something like that. And it's the same for like four films in a row. Yeah, it, it is this one. Yeah, they start with it and then it's in Moonraker as well. Um, yeah. Where he's in a Brazilian monastery, mm. which is his workshops. I mean, taking all this across the world. Logistical nightmare. <laughs> it's absolutely crazy. For your eyes only... That's where he tests Smithers' arm cast battering around <laughs> in the background, yeah. if you remember that. Yeah. Um, and you've got, got the to... identigraph, haven't you, in Fiora's only? <laughs> yes. Well, we'll come on to that, won't we, when we talk about the uh, the worst gadgets. <laughs> um, <laughs> Octopussy. Field cue again. More field cue yeah. out in India. I'd like to retract my previous statement that there's no bad field cue. <laughs> <laughs> I'd forgotten about um, two oh, old gadgets on a jolly in the hot air balloon at the end. Yeah, yeah I'd completely forgot about that. <laughs> ah, well, there you go. <laughs> Putting his massive hands around the girls at the end, going, oh, go on then, kiss a kiss. <laughs> he has got massive hands, that's the thing, you know. Ginormous sausage fingers, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's that. I love a close-up of Q's hands. Yeah, that's... that's... Um, View to a kill, he identifies the microchip, which then Bond goes on to uh, investigate. The Living Daylights, so a little bit about um, Timothy. He said, Timothy was different in a way because he was a stage actor and I was a stage actor years and years ago. I think perhaps there's something in that. I don't know quite what it was, but I got on very well with him. And it's just as well because moving to the next film, um, License to Kill, Very. this, this is field cue. This is pure this field cue. Pinnacle. Pinnacle, field uncle this is isn't it um yeah. <laughs> yeah so with with bond quitting q has some uh holiday to take and he decides, <laughs> decides to go and help bond <laughs> this is how he um, spends it <laughs> Bless him. I, I imagine he hasn't been on holiday for for the last 40 years and this is <laughs> he's, he's, he's earned a week off and this is what he does um, go help bond I know exactly what you're up to, and quite frankly, you're going to need my help. Remember, if it hadn't been for Q Branch, you'd have been dead long ago. It is It is a thing of, like, um, as, as much as you can sort of split, you know, the, the first era from the second era, if you like, with the start of Dalton and trying to take it back to Fleming a little bit. Like, he's he's a legacy character, isn't he, in those Dalton and Brosnan yeah. ones. He's not really, like, a, a peer like he is of mm. Connery and Moore. 
and he does the it's the uncle status literally a nice to kill but I think he's brilliant with Dalton and with with Brosnan especially yeah yeah there's definitely an affection there isn't there between the two yeah. of them yeah mm-hmm. yeah uh, um and license to kill was actually his favorite as well he said yeah license to kill because I had the biggest part in it that was wonderful <laughs> uh, and he obviously he normally only shoots for two or three days and obviously he got a lot longer on this one so yeah it's uh, it was his favourite and he was very fond of uh, being involved with it hmm. um, moving to Goldeneye um, he said I was very very lucky after a long gap when Pierce took over everyone went but they kept me on I said I was very grateful and every- everything like that but I said I ought to have an assistant because as much as I'd like to I can't go on forever of course we, of course we see that two films later he said Pierce is marvellous he sort of looks after me and treats me rather like old granddad so he's very helpful hmm. and kind and he's marvellous to work with that comes across on screen as well. You know, you, yeah. you can't you can't hide that. You can see it. So in Goldeneye, we see him in his wheelchair uh, with his cast on, <laughs> which is uh, the second cast based gadget. Yeah. Uh, to add. <laughs> yeah, well, they're running out of ideas now, aren't they? It's been going for thirty years. Um, yeah, tomorrow never dies. It's field cue again. More field, field cue. Field cue. <laughs> um, but this this time he's playing a car rental salesman. If you just sign here, Mr. Bond. <clears throat> it's the insurance damage waiver for your beautiful new car. Will you need collision coverage? Yes. Fire? Probably. Property destruction? Definitely. Personal injury? I hope not, but accidents do happen. They frequently do with you. Well, that takes care of the normal wear and tear. Do I need any other protection? Only from B007, unless you bring that car back in pristine order. He's sort of shooting the, the teaser trailer in the film, isn't he? It's really yeah. like, well, you need personal injury cover. Cut to like a lot of shots of action. <laughs> <laughs> Probably, you know, it's just it's brilliant that they set that up and it's just in there. <laughs> Um, he said about this, he said, uh, being an old man, for me, there was too much action. It went on and on and on and on. But the young people love it. The more action, the more noise in the film, the happier they are. In the old films, you had pistols and machines, machine guns. In the new films, you have hundreds of those blasting away. The last film, I thought, was incredibly noisy. Ooh. So, ooh, scathing. <laughs> um, and then in The World Is Not Enough, his final appearance... Bond doesn't doesn't uh, mess about with uh, annoying Q straight off the bat. Pre-titles, um, he uh, steals his boat, his retirement boat, which, <laughs> which, is, which is a ludicrous. which which is a weird retirement boat to go fishing on, <laughs> isn't it? It's, it doesn't seem practical to fish in that boat. Yeah, just just a little summary of him in the Spy Who Loved Me. That's when he's referred to again as Major Boothroyd uh, in yeah. dialogue. And so with, yeah, these scenes, he normally takes a day or two to film them. Um, and then he's called back, obviously, for, for each one. So talking about a uh, favourite gadget, yeah. he said, I haven't got one. I mean, they've got so many wonderful gadget gadgets. I suppose it would be a car. I can't think of anything else. You see, I loathe gadgets. <laughs> I'm, abs- <laughs> I'm absolutely useless with them. I haven't got a mobile telephone. I haven't got a computer. I wouldn't know how to work one or anything like that. That's just what you want, isn't it? Get <laughs> that under his hat. <laughs> oh, dear. 
Um, he also appeared in some uh, some of the video games. Yeah. Uh, not the voice, though, just his likeness. Tomorrow Never Dies, World Is Not Enough, Nightfire, 007 Racing, and the James Bond 007 from Russia With Love. Um, his likeness was was in that in all of those. Um, so Desmond Llewellyn himself was born 12th of December 1914, and um, he was born in South Wales, and his parents wanted him to be a chartered accountant. That bored him. He wasn't interested. So he considered several professions and he decided on a stage career and he enrolled to RADA at the age of 20 where he was there for two years. He said, I tried the church and that failed. I was too dim for accountancy, too short-sighted for the police force and an insufficient liar to make a good politician. What else was (laughs) left but to become an actor? I remember Richard Burton saying to me years later that the reason there are so many Welsh actors is because the church is not very popular nowadays. Uh, his, uh, one of his fellow students at RADA was Geoffrey Keane, who obviously we saw in the Bond films, Bond alumni. He plays the, um, the Minister of Defence, isn't he? Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. While he was at RADA, he made his film debut in a Gracie Fields film, Look Up and Laugh. That was in 1935. Um, but his first, first actual job after leaving RADA was uh, for a theatre company in Southend. And then after that, he went on to appear in a play at Bexhill, Hill, where he met Pamela Pantlin, who he married in 1938. Then his film career start, uh, started, and he was in a comedy called Ask a Policeman. But then that career was abruptly cut short because of the Second World War. And he served as a second lieutenant in the Royal Welsh Fusiliers. He was actually captured. Did you know this? He was captured by German soldiers in France and he spent five years as a prisoner of war. Wow, no way. Yeah, but he was actually allowed to participate in acting roles with other prisoners. Mm. The uh, The German guards were fine with it. They, they thought it was good for morale. Um, so he, he actually participated in the world premiere staging of Noel Coward's post-mortem with <laughs> fellow prisoners in 1942. Wow. Um, so then after the war... Um, he resumed his film career with a with a war film, just what you want. Um, <laughs> they were not divided in 1950. Um, uh, directed by Terence Young. So here we go. So he, um, at the time of uh, getting the role of Q, he'd been appearing in regional theatre, playing small film roles. He had four lines in Cleopatra in 1962. So in, in terms of uh, Bond, he was asked who he considered the best Bond, best actor. And he said Sean Connery, Connery was perfect. George Lazenby played it straight and rather well. Roger Moore was much lighter and more jokey. It was a rather camp portrayal with a lot more emphasis on humour, but it worked. Timothy Dalton was Ian Fleming's Bond, a real character. His confidence and surliness were straight from the books. It was brave, but people didn't like it. Pierce Brosnan, Brosnan is extremely good. He has the right look and manner. So it sounds like fence-sitting to me. Very much so. I think yeah. <laughs> what, what he said about Connery probably is the the most praise. Perfect. And Dalton. Yeah, yeah I mean, perfect. <laughs> Damn it, Llewellyn. Pick a Lynn. Use one of those giant fingers and select the best Bond. <laughs> so obviously after The World Is Not Enough, in terms of his private life prior to... In the 90s, his wife had suffered from Alzheimer's. So he was obviously, that was taking a toll um, personally for him. So just touching on his career, the rest of his career, he was in Lavender Hill Mob, 
He's also had a small role in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. There's another mention of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang there, which was uh, written by Ian Fleming. Yeah. Operation Kid Brother. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Back to that already. Of course, yeah. But sadly, on the 19th of December 1999, he was driving home from a book signing and his car collided head on with another car in East Sussex. He sustained massive injuries and was airlifted to Eastbourne General Hospital where he died quite soon afterwards and he was 85. It only occurred three weeks after the premiere of The World Is Not Enough. So very sad. Very Um, sad. Yeah, it's strangely, it's like it's the first, um, The World Is Not Enough was the first Bond film I saw in the cinema. I was was a smidge too young to see it, we'll not get into that. But uh, Desmond Llewellyn is like the first like movie star death. Like I remember being like really Mm. saddened by because I'd seen The World Is Not Enough and... I don't know. Like in, I was young enough at the time to, like, to sort of go, oh, so that's why he went out for the film. It's like they didn't know this was going to be. It was a weird sort of backwards sort of like, oh, it's strange that like, it was so strange yeah. that there's that point in end that I didn't really process when I was watching it and it was it happened and it was just all the sadder a few weeks later. So I was like, I was, I'll say this, yeah. I, was, I, I was nine years old, I should say, for context. <laughs> Probably too young to see this in the cinema, but it <laughs> Incredibly poignant, that final scene now. Um, oh yeah, it really is. She just sort of disappears into the ground, doesn't it? It's kind of. Uh... Mm. You're not retiring anytime soon, are you? Now pay attention, 007. I've always tried to teach you two things. First, never let them see you bleed. And the second, always have an escape plan. Roger Moore, who um, who obviously was with Desmond Llewellyn for six of his seven Bond films, he spoke at the funeral on the 6th of January 2000. His widow, Pamela, she died in 2001. Also, she was aged 85. And sadly, his son, Justin, died in 2012, aged 59. Oh. So there we go. What, what, what a career he had. Iconic. So iconic. Mm. Yeah. Like I said, but, a, a, a staggering towering figure over the Bond films. Yeah. yeah. The long, full on the longest serving character of all, really, outlasted any Bond. Any yeah. other, like, you know, Airman Moneypenny changed hands throughout the course of his run. But, mm-hmm. yeah. And also, such a great champion of uh, Bond. Yeah. Like, yeah. Re- really happy to talk about it and be involved and like do other stuff for Bond. Yeah, exactly, yeah. There's quite a lot of um, like adverts of him reprising the character, isn't it? Whether it's to replace, yeah. like whether it's to promote um, a film or whether it's just in between. Because again, that's just this place in pop culture. Everyone knows now. Pay attention, 007. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think we understand each other. <laughs> Grow up, 007. Coffee. Medium sweet. Two medium sweet. Thanks for listening. We hope you're enjoying the James Bond A to Z podcast. Remember, if you want to support the show, we have a coffee page at ko-fi.com forward slash James Bond A to Z, where you can buy us a coffee for just £3 or for £3 a month. Thanks for listening. Back to the show. Is that all it does? Before we move on to the next section, let's have a look. Let's have a quick chat about the gadgets of the 
Bond films of the 1960s and 70s. And we'll do this throughout the podcast, uh, have a look at the different eras. But um, if you had to choose sort of your favourite gadget from the 60s and 70s uh, from the Bond films, what would your what would your first thoughts go to, Brendan? Uh, the attaché case. Uh, mm. straight, straight to the attaché case. I, yeah, for, for me, it's just, it's so realistic and effective and it, it it's not jarring to the plot you know it's it's used in a in a believable way which a, a lot of the a lot of the gadgets aren't and you know yeah, yeah. the setup the setup and payoff is is so good you know it does exactly what it's supposed to and trips up mm-hmm. red grant as it does but it's the sort of gadget that you know has plenty of it uses the stuff that's in it all the way through in the film as well. And it's the sort of gadget that if it comes to it, you could just you could just hit Red Grant with it if you really want to. It's 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 not a single use thing like some of the gadgets we're going to talk about. It's like uh, now pay attention, 007. If you press this here, then the villain will fall over. Just so you know, it's 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 practicality. Yeah. Um, the thing I think like there's a couple that. I'd, I'd pick out, but the thing that I I think I have to to see that I would say I have to call out uh, uh, the sat nav in the Aston Martin in Goldfinger, just because it, it's sat nav in the nineteen sixties. Like you know, talk about these films being five minutes in the future. Like wow, that's a that's a heck of a thing to just have there. And the other one I think just from the real world story behind it is probably the rebreather in Thunderball because it's the film that they made with with cooperation of navies and stuff of the, of the navy. Um, and they said in return you have to tell us how this rebreather, which gives you four minutes of air. Uh, that size works, and they they have to go. Well, it, it doesn't. <laughs> it, it doesn't actually work. It's not functioning. Like the the oxygen tank that's a hundred times its size only lasts forty minutes. It's not. It's it's just a, a prop. Wow, has that really <laughs> happened? No way. There was a story. Yeah, there was a story that during the cooperation, the the producers were asked, like, so how does the rebreather work? <laughs> <laughs> that's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for me, if I had to choose a favourite Bond gadget from the 60s, 70s, I think the Aston Martin DB5 and the the Lotus Esprit, um, mm. yeah, I, th- I think they're sort of p- the pinnacle for me. Um, I mean, they're just absolutely outrageous in concept and design and, and execution. Um, and I guess it's also a visual effects thing as well. It's uh, makes them stand out but if i had to choose one specific gadget in itself i, I really like the um the, the seagull snorkel from golden at uh, goldfinger <laughs> because when we spoke to uh jeremy dunn's back back in the day um he, he'd found that the, the the seagull snorkel was based in reality they'd uh, there was a plan in the world war Two, i think and it was supposed to be a, was it like a dead dog, I think that they were supposed to use as the as the decoy mm. sort of cover. That, and it was that's chained. less good in the water, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so I love that one um, as well. But I mean, there's so many in the sixties and seventies, so many iconic ones. And it's where in yeah. the sixties, seventies, you get the the watch, the gadget watches start coming through, don't they? Mm-hmm. And that then yeah, yeah. becomes a a staple of the series. Um, yeah. If you're going to choose the sort of the 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 worst, most stupidest ones, what would you? What would your mind go to? Well, I just had an honourable mention for a, a one that I like, a, a one that I like that's not really mm. mentioned. But every time I see it, I'm like, ah, the fake fingerprints. How yes. effective that is! Yeah, it's great. That's so simple and effective. Yeah, um, just a is shame. That in, is that in Diamonds it's, Are Forever? That one. It, is yeah, it? yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just a shame it's in Diamonds Are Forever. <laughs> 
Yeah. Well, Diamonds Are Forever is also the one that has the, the pocket mouse trap at the beginning, which is just full on Tom and Jerry. Yeah. Like when he's, he's gone at Blofeld, it's just, the henchman just yeah. sticks his hand in the pocket and there's just a mouse trap. <laughs> Deeply silly. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a, a lot of stupid ones, isn't there, in, um, yeah. in the 60s and 70s. And one we talked about recently, Brendan, the Bondola. Well, that's um, that's what I've got as my worst. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I've uh, stolen your thunder there. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's, there's function to that. If you're in a gondola, you never know when you're going to be chased by gondola bastards and forced to, to go up on land when you're James Bond. It's just... <laughs> but no, I'm not I'm, I'm not going to die on this hill, actually. Um, <laughs> too, well, late. Gonna... too late. Too <laughs> late. <laughs> no, I've made it off. I've miraculously made it off. I had a jet. Um Cigarette rocket launcher, I don't like. I just it's just naff. It's the opposite of what I'm talking about with um with with Grant. It's just a thing of like you have to be able to aim it just so you have to be able to go, Oh, can I can I before you kill me, can I have a cigarette? And they have to go, Yes, mm-hmm. Mr. Bond. And it's just it starts happening. Yeah. And you want it twice and going from there. Um the actual answer though is the prosthetic nipple, which <laughs> he asks which he asks Q to make for him. Like could you like this is where this is gonna be the, the nadir of Q's profession. Career, it's like all right. We've been working on laser watches. We've been working on cars, projector seats, and that. Um, oh yeah, this pervert I work with wants me to make him prosthetic nipple. He just he's just sent me a drawing of what he wants it to look like, and he wants me to make that. And then at the end of it, when he uses it and he goes and pauses a scaramanga, like at the end, he just he takes it off and just throws it in a bush. Like, yeah, yes, he, he puts no value on poor Q's work at all. I'd love to have seen the 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 scene of Q actually make, making that nipple. There should have oh. been a question in in the comments. How much did that nipple cost the British taxpayer? <laughs> and whose nipple is it modelled on? Did it is it Q looking in the mirror, <laughs> getting it just right? Um, I mean, it, it it puts the dark gun from Moonraker in context a, a little bit later because it just seems to be there for a one off the wrist joke. He's just calling him a wanker. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Moonwrecker's got some ridiculous, ridiculous uh, gadgets. It's got that's the one with the <laughs> yeah. expo- exploding, what are they called? Bo- boilers? The, is that what he calls them? Balls 007. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's a very specific gadget uh, there. So and yeah. it's, got, of... it's, got, it's got bollocks gadgets even before they go into space. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Right, let's have a look at some of the other cues that have cropped up in the series. Uh, I'll kick things off with uh, Casino Royale 67. So you've got Jeffrey Bailden as Q. Now, do you remember this scene? Yeah, it's sort of um, I being served. Well, it's more prefix Kingsman, doesn't it? It's kind of in a department store, is that right? It's underneath Selfridges, yeah. And when they shot the mm. scene, there was supposed to be a scene that preceded it where it was shown that the lab was underneath Selfridges. That scene never got shot yeah. because it's Casino they never Royale. Did it. <laughs> no. And so when they come in, they come out of the lift and they say so there's a joke about it being selfridges and it kind of falls falls a little bit flat. Mm. Um, but yeah, and it's it's with Peter Sellers as Evelyn Tremble. So you've got him coming into the in, into the uh, Q's lab, um, and uh, being walked through. Um, and it's a very, t- it's actually a very good parody of of the Q scene. Even though the Q scenes had only really been going for three films, they absolutely yeah. nail the parody. It's one of the few parts of Casino Royale that nails um, actually par- is a good parody of, of a James Bond film. Yeah, 
it's by the time it gets to Roger Moore, it's almost ripping off that scene. Well, <laughs> it's funny you should say that because let me just talk you through what happens in the Casino Hour 67 set. So you've yeah. got, there's a bit with men in wetsuits and they're firing bow, bow and arrows. There's a, <laughs> there's a karate chopping man who like karate chopping through blocks. And then when he, when he salutes Bond, he karate chops himself in the head, knocks himself out. <laughs> um, there is a bit with an exploding hat as well where uh, the hat is supposed to, I think it's supposed to shoot something off, but instead just ends up blowing up this guy's head. Hmm. Um, but there is a bit at the end, and there's a second character who's uh, Fordyce, played by John Wells, uh, who later went on to play Dennis Thatcher in Pure Eyes Only. Anyway, oh. in that bit, there's a demonstration of a gadget, and it's a pen, and they make a joke, or, or Evelyn Tremble, uh, Peter Sellers, makes a joke about saying, oh, well, that would be perfect if I'm going to write a poison pen letter for someone. And both mm. Q and Fordyce both like roll their eyes, shake their head at this. Is a, this is, that's a dreadful joke. That's what everyone mm. says. Why would you say that? And then Roger Moore actually uses that joke about a pen <laughs> in Octopussy. <laughs> now, take a fountain pen. Twist the top. And a highly concentrated mixture of nitric and hydrochloric acid dissolves all metals. Wonderful for poison pen letters. Pay attention, 007. It becomes it's beyond parody. So, yeah, I mean, like I said, they did, they never shot the, the, the scene in Harrods, so it kind of doesn't make a little bit of sense. Um, but talking about it later, uh, Jeffrey Belden said, uh, Sellers was in a marvellous mood. The point of the thing was to prove that the HQ of all spies was in the basement of Harrods, not Selfridges, sorry, Harrods. I went to see the film with a friend and we were wondering why everybody wasn't laughing. Our scene was halfway through the film and by then no one was laughing at anything. It was a very good scene, but it suffered from the fact that it was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Some of it was appallingly wrong. Um, and and Bailden, he, uh, I don't know if you know the name, but he, he was a Shakespearean actor. He's best known for playing Catweasel. Mm. Um and he also turned down the chance to be the first Doctor in Doctor Who as well, something he regretted for a lot of his life. Mm. Um, he later also appeared in um, Wars of Gummidge as well. Uh, he was another World War II veteran who um, he, he was just very famous for playing roles that were a lot older than he actually was. Um, and other things he was in later were uh, All Creatures Great and Small, Tomorrow People. Uh, he did Doctor Who as well in the 70s. Um, so he did finally get to play uh, an alternative version of the Doctor in a uh, audio play in 2003 and 2005. Um, but yeah, that was that was Jeffrey Belden, and then uh, John Wells. Like I said, he was the guy playing four dice in that scene, and he he went on to play Dennis Thatcher in Fury Eyes Only, having played yeah. Dennis Thatcher a number of times um, in a in, in a few in a few different things actually. Um, mm. um, so yeah, I thought that was quite an interesting link. But uh, yeah, I mean, both Bailden and Wells are now dead. The other really famous cue is the um, uh, Never Say Never Again cue. Hmm. Now, this uh, was played by Alec McCowan. Um, and the character initially referred to as Q is then known as Al Algonon or Algae. Um, and something I really like about Never Say Never Again is something we mentioned before is how sort of rough and ready and down to earth the lab is. Hmm. Um, yeah in that film compared to the sort of the um the the stage stagey version we get in the bond films and i think that's something they carry on through into the main bond films when you get to the Dalton era um, so i think that's always interesting about that um 
But yeah, I mean, you've got Q. He, he sort of takes Bond by surprise with his pen gun. Um, he spends a lot of time complaining about cutbacks and his sinuses. Um, <laughs> and he expresses a wish to work for the CIA. And he also has that great line about the gratuitous sex and violence. Good to see you, Mr. Bond. Things have been awfully dull around here. Bureaucrats running the old place, everything done by the book. Can't make a decision unless the computer gives you the go-ahead. Now you're on this. I hope we're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. I certainly hope so, too. And then he has the joke about the Vicks inhaler, where, again, you know, he says, what's this? And he says, it's an inhaler for my sinuses. Another joke, which is later stolen in the Brosnan era with the sandwich. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> so that's my lunch. <laughs> that's exactly. Yeah. Um, but McCowan was a, a really, really acclaimed actor, and I know in no, Never Say Never Again, Connery really pushed to get the best actors in the best role, best mm. roles, and and McCowan really was that. Uh, his obituary in the Garden called him an actor of dazzling technical brilliance, whose career encompassed the classics, new plays, two remarkable one-man shows, and an abundance of til- TV and film. And he was famously the lead in Alfred Hitchcock's Frenzy in 1972. And also the film Travels with My Aunt. Um, He's another RADA veteran. Um, And um, yeah, he also starred in the film The Loneliness of the Long Distance Runner. Um, Speaking about the film Never Seen Ever Again in 2011, he said that the script changed the very day he arrived on set. He'd He'd studied the script for months beforehand and the scene set in his mind but the director, Irving Kirshner, had a last-minute script change. Mm. But when McCowan discussed the script change with Connery, the Bond star replied, don't worry about the damn script, Alex. Do the scene any way you want. I'll take care of Kirshner. So <laughs> you can see he was calling the shots on that film. Uh, McCowan, sadly, yeah, he died uh, in 2017, age 91. But yeah, a couple of other takes on, on Q there. Um, interesting how they sort of influenced the other versions of Q later on. Shall we talk about the best, uh, the, or the, the the best and worst gadgets of the nineteen eighties and nineties? Yes. Right. What so, have you got? What What have you got? Uh, well, from 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 looking at it, I found it very difficult. Actually, <laughs> that's like thinking, oh, these are all awful. But in Living Daylights, the sniper gun, and it's mainly because of the way Dalton handles it. Hmm. You know, he looks fantastic when he's when he's got that. The exploding pen in Goldeneye as well. I think they're probably the two stand out for me. Yeah, just, I mean, I... classic. Yeah, that's a good set up yeah. and pay off one again. The, the exploding pen. Mm-hmm. I mean, for me, from from Goldeneye, it's always going to be it's a background thing. It's the phone box that's just <laughs> it's yes. the phone box that's just there <laughs> randomly. Uh, some poor lab tech answers it unwittingly, and um, an airbag comes up and just. It's just another one of those background things you expect him to say, like, ah, yes, after the for the ambassador's telethon or whatever he says. Uh, but for the best, the best one for me would be um, it's the Ericsson JB nine eight eight Bond's first ever mobile phone um, from Tomorrow Never Dies, uh, with its fingerprint scanner, its taser, the remote control for the car. You know, you mentioned Doctor Who there, like it's phone is sonic screwdriver. It's just sort of this gadget that does whatever you need it to, but. It's um, it's I guess a landmark in the series. Just as the first mobile phone, really, it's sort of the first tip towards um, because they sort of carry this on, don't they? Like with the subsequent mobile phones, to start making real life features of new phones, kind of like gadget features. Like Quantum of Solace has a big thing about facial recognition mm. in mm. photographs and stuff like that. 
but it's um it's just an interesting update really i mean for the 90s ones i think that i think like for the 80s it's a thing of them um, you you've got two films that sort of like go beyond the usual rules of james bond films so you have field cue handing out stuff like an alarm clock guaranteed never to wake up anyone who uses it so that then doesn't wind up <laughs> yeah. like playing into the plot but the 90s kind of follows on with like it's again it's got some retro stuff it kind of comes in golden eye with like a grappling belt like straight out of, like the 1989 batman sort of like it's sort of because there hasn't been a film out since then all right we better get him a grappling gun <laughs> but i think the form yeah. stands out in that especially the way that q's introducing it yeah definitely yeah, definitely um, if I had to pick a, a sort of eighties, nineties, I, I I quite like um, the ones he gets in License to Kill. So you got the Dentonite toothpaste, um, which feels very grounded and realistic. Um, yeah. Um, and then um, you've also got the cigarette packet, sort of which he uses as a, as a detonator. Um, got to get those cigarette adverts in there somehow. So um, <laughs> might, as well, uh, might as well get them in. But obviously the, uh, another car, Aston, the Aston Martin V8 in uh, The Living Daylights. Again, just another stunning uh, sort of piece of visual effects and fantasy, I think, that really converges mm-hmm. well in that movie. Um, love it. Uh, love it a lot. Um, um, can I have an honourable mention for the, the Vanished, the Vanquish? Because... I always, and every time I revisit it, right, I'm like, it's not as bad. It's like it's an invisible car, sure, but it makes sense and it it's fine. Yeah, I mean, technically it's 2002, so it's not in the 90s, but I'm gonna lump it in the in this era. So it's, you can have it's that. It's in there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say, I think the invisible car is really more about the execution. Than the way than the idea itself, it's it's mm-hmm. the cringy bits of dying of the day, and the CGI, and the yeah. they go with the vanish pun. They go there and they really overreg it. Like <laughs> just throw just throw that away. You don't need to land hit it. Step on it as hard as you used to. <laughs> <laughs> right. What about the worst, most ridiculous ones? Where to start? Can I start? Well, yeah. Go, go for on. it. Yeah. <laughs> the iceberg submarine from *A View to a Kill*. <laughs> Oh my god, I forgot about the iceberg submarine from a few times. I mean, I mean, yeah, okay, that's oh. fine. How often are you going to need an iceberg submarine? <laughs> and I just mean... imagine Q in his lab tinkering with that. <laughs> what am I doing? <laughs> At some point, he's just going to stop and go and like realize, oh no, James Bond's going to have sex in this, isn't he? <laughs> I'm, creating, I'm creating yet another sex board for James Bond, however I want to put Yes, I, must, I, will put, I will put the champagne chiller in it, James, please. I'll, when I finish, it will go, go in last. I mean, well, that's, that's the answer. Sorry, that is the answer. <laughs> you've, you've taken the heat off of me because, as I said, the, the world is not enough is the first one I saw, and I've got a soft spot for it. So I struggle to say that it's the, the, the avalanche-proof court, even though it's the avalanche-proof court. <laughs> but it's a funny visual. What it is, it's, it's, it's a phone box. It's, it's a phone box. It's a background stupid one that's elevated to being a main plot point in the film. Like, it's a, it's a really funny visual to watch the court blow up and balloon around. Yeah. There's all sorts of uses for that. You could jump, jump out of windows... <laughs> That's nice softly. Like I love the idea of it. It's just weird that it's as big a plot point as it is. So I struggle to say it's the worst, but with the, the iceberg submarine you've taken the heat off me. My actual choice was gonna be um the keychain from from um Living Living Daylights. That's harsh. Think, yeah, because I think it's just the thing of 
it's you know there's the tomorrow's worldification of, of some of these gadgets it's like oh we're, let's see what let's see what little bit of knickknack we can just like stick like some explosives in you know it's like it's it's trying to it's the opposite of being current you know the, the background gag in that one is uh we call it a ghetto blaster with the <laughs> with the rocket launcher stereo i mean Sorry, I missed out in the best one. Another great background one is the collapsing sofa, like the man-eating sofa thing. This is, again, perfect, <laughs> perfect side gag. But it's weird because the, 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 when the collapsing sofa happens, it just makes mm. you think of Live and Let Die with the exploding sofa. So there's like two yeah. gadget sofas in <laughs> James. Like, well, how? It's got, there's a special branch. There's DFSQ. <laughs> <laughs> I just had a Q on the end there. Um, on the, on the keychain, though, so the thing of like the the tortured thing of oh you you have to whistle rule Britannia and it blows off just tortured like I've I've just recently got a puppy I can't always whistle to him what if your mouth's dry that is useless what if you're like off key what if you can't I think it's a useless gadget and I think it's packed into like a random eighties knickknack <laughs> I don't and like it's it at used all. a lot as well isn't it it, it is sure used is a lot. yeah it's really only got two uses and they really <laughs> it really feels like they use it a lot why why have you not mentioned the identigraph then. Oh yeah, that is awful. Mm. <laughs> like, and it's, uh, it's, it's astonishingly bad. Like, yeah, it doesn't look anything like a human. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, surely the it's... nose parameters would have a limit, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they spend so long on it that like Q's secretary brings them a cup of tea while they're doing it. It's like, oh, thank you, Sharon. <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> and then again, yeah, we want to talk about tomorrow's world. That uh, it's like this is how they'll be able to do it. In the future, it's like nope, <laughs> absolutely not. Uh, and but they also turn it on itself, don't they? Because then um, Zorin has a version that he uses on Bond, doesn't he? Uh, <laughs> yeah, his um, his um, <laughs> whatever that is, his little Mega Drive thing, <laughs> just facial recognition. <laughs> uh, any other bad ones, Brendan? Well, the X-ray specs into the world is not enough. Yeah, mm, no, yeah, because because the majority he just uses it to. The uh, sex pest, really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, a bit creepy. There's another one where he's oh no, he's using the camera. What is he? he uses the camera to zoom in on the cleavage, doesn't he? And that is that octopus. Well, that's thing? a Roger Moore one. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. I've got some bad ones for you. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I was going to mention the b- bagpipes in the world is not enough. That's yeah. a sort of a background sight gag. Mm-hmm. Again, mm. how often is that going to come in useful? Um, actually, I quite like this one. There's a there's two two in both Timothy Dalton films. There's jokes around gadget rakes. Have you noticed yeah. this? <laughs> one is a metal detector, and then the other one is a radio transmitter. Again, yeah, just it's quite quite bizarre. Yeah, field um, Q in his terrible disguise as well just throws <laughs> throws away at the end of the scene. Throws his mustache off, doesn't he? How much did that mustache cost the British tax? Never mind. <laughs> it's from yeah. Same team that made the nipples. Um, I tell you, actually, a good one that I do like is the uh, signature gun, um, which is the Timothy Dalton one, isn't it? Um, that only yeah. you can use. I think that's quite a good one. But I mean, most of, most of the terrible um, gadgets come from Octopussy. You know, you've got the rope climb, you've mm. got the crocodile the crocodile, submarine. The crocodile yeah. is awful. <laughs> the, the rocket-powered tuk-tuk. Um, Hughes hot air balloon. It's just, I mean, it's just a silly, silly movie. As we, but do you know, do you know why they're so bad? It's because it's it's based off the stuff that was good during the sixties with the Connery era, ramped Mm. up, turned up to eleven, and got nonsense. Like the the crocodile is basically (laughs) 
the the duck the duck on the head. Yeah, isn't yeah. It? but uh, nonsense. But actually, that sparked off a, a thought. Is it there's there's the one in um, is it License to Kill where he Timothy Dalton wears like a manta ray sort of diving cover thing or disguises himself as a manta. Yeah, ray. I like I like that. That's a good one. Yeah, that, is a that good makes one. sense, doesn't it? Yeah, but the crocodile is uh, is ludicrous, yeah. and the fact that <laughs> Q kept it. Recovered it from the field so that he could show it off to, in Die Another Day <laughs> is is kind of absurd. Uh, well, I have issues with that scene in Die Another Day anyway. How did they get Rosa Klebb's shoe? Yeah, uh, strange. Well, that's I mean that's a, that's a, that's the eighties and nineties. Um, but let's let's move into the noughties and meet the new Q. Brendan. New Q. I'm your new quartermaster. You must be joking. Why, because I'm not wearing a lab coat? Because you still have spots. My complexion is hardly relevant. Your competence is. Age is no guarantee of efficiency. And youth is no guarantee of innovation. How has it I can do more damage on my laptop sitting in my pyjamas before my first cup of Earl Grey than you can do in a year in the field? Oh, so why do you need me? Every now and then a trigger has to be pulled. We didn't have a Q in Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace. So, yeah, Skyfall, we have Q played by Ben Whishaw. And he was only 31 uh, at the time. And that meant it was the first time that the actor playing Q was younger than the actor playing Bond. Um, obviously, there's that scene where they meet uh, in front of the painting at the National Gallery. Great scene. Fantastic scene. And uh, Bond, obviously, is shocked at how young Q is um, but you can see there's a mutual respect that um, is pretty instant actually so they're simple gadgets for, for Skyfall and yeah, that's where you get that line from Q where you're expecting an expo- exploding pen, you don't really go in for that anymore zinger on Goldeneye there how dare you um... <laughs> no yeah, they got all the way back to 1995 to like to zinger Bond from 1995 it should have been, we don't really go in for crocodiles anymore, we don't yeah. really go in for invisible cars bondolers bondolers but this version of Q still gets frustrated with Bond um, and his, his lack of care about taxpayers money um <laughs> inspector um q injects bond with smart blood um mm. which allows mi6 to track him um but q is obviously heavily involved in the plot to help uh bond disappear q in the um, field field q. field q no time to die we also get field q field lots q. of field q in his pajamas <laughs> Well, isn't that a reference to him saying that he can cause more havoc in his pajamas in yeah. Skyfall? It's, I think it's a callback. Yes, but also that, I think they also said that did he get him out of bed? So I think the two are linked, sort of. It's a nice. Right. I think it's nice. And I love, I love the callback. Yeah, I love the little bit on the um, the the carrier where he's like looking through drawers of guns and stuff, and there's just a nice drawer with like some <laughs> kitchenware, just teapots. Like, whoops, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's got again, lovely. <laughs> Um, so in nine, in No Time to Die, it is uh, implied that Q is gay um, when Bond and Moneypenny interrupt him preparing a romantic dinner. And Ben Washill recently had some comments on this, and 
He said, I suppose it, I don't feel it was forced upon the studio. That was not my impression of how it came about. I think it came from a good place. But he said he had concerns about the scene during a chat with Barbara Broccoli. And he said he thought at the time, are we doing this? And then we're doing nothing with it. I remember perhaps feeling that was pretty unsatisfying. For whatever reason, I didn't pick it apart with anybody on the film. Maybe on another kind of project I would have done, but it's a very big machine. I thought a lot about whether I should question it. Finally, I didn't. I accepted this was what was written and I said the lines and it is what it is. So there you go. I mean, I remember at the time I watched it and I thought it was done quite well, but... Tastefully, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's it's just it's throwaway because it's it's normal it's just normal life you know you yeah. get more about you get more about Q like kind of just in bits and bobs like in Skyfall it's just like nice touches like him mm. having the Scrabble mug like with the the Q it's just little touches of personality that yeah. sort of build up like I think he more than the other characters in that sort of MI six family throughout these three films like benefits the most from like you know from the just from the grace notes rather than the, you know, I think by the time of No Time to Die, you have to give Ray Fine something to play, for instance. But I can't yeah. remember where we fell on this because I was on the, the No Time to Die episode. Do you think he'll be back as Q? Like, do you think he could do the Desmond Llewellyn, even if they change everything else, keep him on? Well, so. he said, he said, I have absolutely no idea. I know nothing. They are incredibly tight-lipped about everything, really. I have a suspicion I won't be coming back. I think they'll probably start all over again, and that might be the right thing. But of course, I don't know for certain. I well, so. I interviewed Ben Wishel for No Time to Die, and I asked him um, because I think him, Naomi Harris, very fine, <laughs> signed three picture deals when they when they signed up. Um, yeah. So their deals are are expired. Whether they'll carry on, um, I would like to think they will do. I feel like it adds. I don't know. It's just it kind of feels like what Cubby would do. Um, and I feel like that's something they they often look to. Um, well, Cubby wouldn't kill Bond, so well, <laughs> let's not start that. <laughs> let's not start that conversation again. Um, he's he's certainly the one of this current era. Like I'm really not fussed about seeing Riff Finders M again because I feel like it really overbalanced the last film. Trying to find something for him to do, yeah. and inadvertently ma- really making him the real villain of the piece. Yeah. Um, so there's that, but like I could easily see him, you know, in the same way as like Llewellyn's role changes when he is opposite different bonds, and you know you have Judy Dench as an entirely different M because she can't be the same M from the past of the films. It doesn't doesn't work. So yeah. you know, you, it's one of those things that I can imagine if, if if the next one's going to be very different. If they go a bit lighter, then they can have a character who's quite funny anyway. Like Wisho's Q is quite funny. Yeah, throughout those three films, and I think you're right. Actually, what you're saying about um, how he was overbal—M was overbalanced in um, mm. No Time to Die. I know we've done episodes on M and Money Penny recently, and I think on both of those, we sort of agreed that they'd painted them into a corner with how mm. much further they could do because by inflating the size of their characters and get, developing them so far, that by then asking them to take a step back next time round just sort of doesn't really make sense. Whereas mm. Q has always had a similar sort of size role in every movie um, that it kind of would make sense for Q to be the one to carry on if the others do change because they're not going to move him on. There's not much more to move him on. He's not like never been a badass in the field. He's never mm. like, you know, gone like up, like, done a treasonous thing like M did in the last film. I think mm. M, I think Q has the 
cleanest slate to work from. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. My, my only issue with it is Ben Wishaw is a pretty big deal now. And yeah. Desmond Llewellyn wasn't outside of Bond. Yeah. But is is he though? I mean, have you got more notes on his on his career? Yeah, I'm gonna do his I'm gonna do his career. Paddington. I'm like, come on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the best film ever made. So, you know, mm. the two best films ever made. And they, if they mm. get the third one right, it's gonna be a perfect trilogy. Just wanna you know, put that out there. So Ben Wishaw was born in fourteenth uh, of October nineteen eighty. Um now, his paternal grandfather was born uh, Jean Vladimir Stelmacher, and he lived in Germany. But he changed his name to John Victor Wishaw after World War II because he served as a British spy in the German army. I thought that was quite oh, interesting. So wow. there, is, there is a link to, to spies. Um, but Ben Wishaw himself, he was a member of the Bancroft Players Youth Theatre. Um, and then he attended um, uh, RADA, so... Again, we've got another another RADA alumni. He graduated mm. in 2003. Um, he was the lead in Trevor Nunn's production of Hamlet in 2004 at the Old Vic. And that's where he received very favourable reviews. And he was nominated for an Olivier for Best Actor. He, he was actually named Most Promising Newcomer in um, the British Independent Film Awards for My Brother Tom as well. So from, from quite a, you know, his early 20s, he's making a name for himself. He also appeared as one of the Bob Dylan reincarnations in I'm Not There in 2007. He, at the end of 2009, he starred in Cock, which was um, a new play by Mike Bartlett, and that was at the Royal Court Theatre. It's about a gay man who falls in love with a woman. Um, he was in The Hollow Crown. Have either of you seen this? He played Richard II. Um, Had a big, big story cast, didn't it? Huge Cumber- cast. Cumberbatch, yeah. Hiddleston. Yep. Yeah. Um, and he won a BAFTA for leading actor um, for that. So in 2012, obviously he became Q, but he was also in Cloud Atlas. And when he made Skyfall, it was the fourth time he'd worked with Daniel Craig after they'd been together in The Trench, Enduring Love and Layer Cake. Oh, it's a long time since I've watched Layer Cake, but yeah, is he not the, but the boyfriend who sort of, spoilers for Layer Cake, is he not the guy who shoots him at the end? Ooh. I might, might be thinking be, of somebody yeah. else. It's a long time since I've seen Leo Kick. Spring 2013, he was on stage with Judy Dench in a play called Peter and Alice, written by John Logan, who uh-huh. has written for Bond films. Skyfall, yeah. And then in 2014, this is where everything changes. He starred as Paddington, hmm. Paddington Bear, in the film Paddington, um, where they actually motion captured his expressions as well. Is that right? Yeah, which I I just thought they put his voice on it. But um, yeah, he actually stepped in when... um, Colin Firth. That's it, Colin Firth. Yeah, Colin Firth recorded all the dialogue, hadn't he? Yeah. But it just didn't fit. He's too old, isn't he? Yeah, I can't imagine It's not not the right voice, is it? No. 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 Um, And they thought the the same. So did he as well, actually. He agreed. Um, And then in 2017, he came back uh, and had another stab at it. in Paddington 2, with Hugh Grant's in that one, which is excellent, by the way. I recommend you, you go and seek out both of those. And, and and friend of the show, Sanjeev Bhaskar. Yes. Uh-huh. And then in 2018, he starred alongside Hugh Grant again. Um, he played Norman Scott, and Hugh Grant played Jeremy yes. Thorpe in A Very English Scandal, which also is on iPlayer, and it is excellent. Absolutely terrific. 
There is, um, mm. if you, it's worth seeking out. There's, I think it's the year, a year in the life of a year that had it. Like it's one of those end of the year like roundup things that swapped the dialogue from the trial scene in Paddington and the trial scene in a very English scandal because Hugh <laughs> Grant and Ben Wishaw are involved. Oh, very and, nice. Um, those words coming out of that little bear's mouth is quite a spectacle. <laughs> mm, mm, I can imagine. <laughs> He also starred as Michael Banks in Mary Poppins Returns. Yes. And in 2020, he had a lead role in the fourth season of Fargo um, alongside Chris Rock, Jason Schwartzman. And then more recently, he's been in This Is Going to Hurt, which is an adaptation of Adam Kay's memoirs, being a junior NHS doctor. Wishaw was also the executive producer for that as well. So that's his career up to this moment. And, you know, he's... I would say he's got more of a career that I'm aware of outside of Bond than Desmond Llewellyn did. Yeah, yeah. but true, but so, so does Judy Dench. And Judy Dench did keep coming back that's, in between other true. things. You know what I mean? It's not like, yeah. if you if you keep him on a Llewellyn style, you know, if you don't make him as integral to the plot as he is in some of these recent ones, you can have him pop up for a scene. Well, yeah, that's, the, that's the problem, isn't it? That's the problem. If they carry on this sort of Marvel Avengers style of, where they need the whole team there, then mm. you're going to need them for longer than two to three days shooting, aren't you? Yeah. Um, Let's hope not. Let's hope they don't. <laughs> yeah, I don't think anyone wants that. No. Hmm. I think the first thing I remember seeing Ben Wishaw in or remembering him from was uh, Nathan Barley. Do you remember that? And he was mm-hmm. he played Pingu, the uh, the tech. That was Chris Morris's show, wasn't it? Was it Chris um, Morris that wrote Chris, that. Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, Chris I'm Morris, gonna... Charlie Brooker. Actually. Charlie Brooker as That's well. It. Yeah, that was, that well, was yeah. someone else. Yeah. But yeah, he was he was the tech wizard, wasn't he? That was terrorized by Nathan mm. Barley. Great. Mm. He's. He, I think. I think Ben Wishaw's a terrific actor. He's got like a real sort of. Um, he can do humor really well. There's sort of a real sense of vulnerability about him. Mm. Um, yeah. Which is just. It's very soulful. I think his. Uh, his. Um, his style, and uh, I think he's really good in the Bond films that he's been in. He gets a bit of a bum deal. I think is it Inspector? Yeah. Uh, everyone, everyone does. Or is it Skyfall? Yeah, no, which true. is the one in Skyfall is the one where he really messes up, doesn't he? Put by putting the USB into his own laptop. Oh yeah, but then Skyfall kind of goes off a cliff about halfway through on that score. Anyway, it just it requires everyone to act stupid for a little while because this is what happened in the Dark Knight. Like, so we need we right. need to do yeah yeah we need to plug this USB in and they even make a joke about it in in No Time to Die where Bond just tips up to his flat with a. Uh, uh, USB, and he just goes. Do you know where this has been? <laughs> rather than <laughs> that's right, rather yeah. than just plug it straight in. <laughs> right. Should we just talk about the gadgets before we move on to our final section? Uh, mm, slips so, and pickings. Yeah, of the noughties. So this is sort of post post two thousand gadgets. Um, best best uh, choices. Mm. Well, for best, um, I was going to ask because. Like, I don't know if this character is referred to as a quartermaster or not, but um, in terms of gadgets, there's only really the bit where they, they turn up after um, Solange has been killed and he's and Bond's injected with the tracking thing. I don't know if he's meant to be sort of a quartermaster type figure, but other than that, he just has like the car gets outfitted, and I think the field medical kit is the answer, isn't it, really, for this one? The, yeah, the it's the it's the best optional extra in a car ever. You you you, you need it to live in the scheme of that thing, and again, it's. Works in the plot, but it's multi-purpose. You can see why it's there. It's not really a really laboured cell. Yeah, I think I'd go for the signature gun. To be honest, yeah, simple, again, simple but effective. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, I th- I think well, again, I'm going to choose cars again. I do like um, the fact that the DB5 comes back and it's been tricked out for No Time to Die. I think that's pretty cool. 
But yeah, I had the card defibrillator as well. I just think that's just such a great sort of Casino Royale-esque gadget, isn't it? It's useful. Um, yeah. It takes it back to, you know, what we were saying about From Russia With Love. So yeah, I mean, in w- worst ones of this era, are we going to include t- Die Another Day in this uh, section? Because if we are, there's obviously a lot there to choose from. Um, and the, chiefly the one for me is the virtual reality combat simulator in Die Another Day. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I've completely forgotten about that. <laughs> that is, yeah, no, that is really bad. That's the, it's. You, I've just rewatched Goldeneye last week, and in that, like reinventing Money Penny, the way they do is is really well done. As as a woman who reacts the way a man would if a slightly annoying colleague kept flirting mm-hmm. with her and never reacting on it, she she flies right back. And by dying of the day, which is fully catapulted itself back into nostalgia like it's just a really cheap gag at the end there with her and the the virtual reality thing Mm. yeah it's it is it is bad but it's not as bad in my opinion as smart blood of course smart blood is the answer that is (laughs) smart blood absolute nonsense Well, do you know where the, the, the genesis of this was that apparently Sam Mendes sent sent John Logan some research when they were coming up the early drafts, and the idea was going to be that, and you could cover this in the Spectre episode, I suppose, but like, just to quickly jump ahead on that, the, an early draft would have had the idea that um, a traitor in MI6 who would have turned out to be Tanner uh, downloaded all of MI6's data into Bond's blood. So the baddies are after Bond to get all the data out of his blood, oh and God. that that fell away. But but you know that somehow the smart blood angle still stayed in. It, it makes you like because they they do reference it in No Time to Die as well. But it's in there mm. as the no no he is definitely dead. Like it's, mm. it's in there for that. But it's a thing of earlier on in the phone call. Oh, we we thought you must have died. We had no idea where you were. It's like you do though because you've got GPS in his blood. Mm. Like, it's, it's, he has a what is it, a tracker in in he has an implant in Casino Royale, doesn't yeah. he? And then yeah. he has the they cut uh, out. Yeah, yeah. And then he just have a then he has the smart blood inspector, and then smart blood again in No Time to Die. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of a lot, isn't it? <laughs> One it's era. just a, it just seems to have like stayed in there in through draft after draft, even though they took out the thing about the data. But it's like maybe I'm getting too far in the head, kind of here. But it's actual usefulness in the plot. Is that it's clearly how Hinks and Blofeld know where he is all the time because C's working for them, but they never connect that dot mm. in the film. You just have to, and it's not in a way like, oh, we're not spoon feeding you. It just doesn't come up. It's just, oh, yeah, smart blood. I think <laughs> the, not... issue, the, the issue is, right, he's a spy. Yeah. And no one should know where he is. Not even, <laughs> yeah. not even MI6 should know because yeah. they'll, they'll, if there's a, and, and there's always, there always is somebody that's, Working for the other side, compromise. Yeah, yeah. So we're talking, we're talking about a spy whose name, foibles, <laughs> and favorite drink are known by everyone he meets. Mostly because he introduces himself by his real name before he goes. And this is somehow worse <laughs> than that for a spy. Like, yeah. it's, well, I think that just about uh, wraps up uh, the chat about Q. I guess I mean we sort of covered about what next for Q. I'd like to see Ben Whishaw retor- return, but um, yeah. I guess if people want to let us know what they want to see for the future of Q, they can email us at podcast at jamesbondaidz.co.uk. Um, and to wrap things up, Mark, you've prepared a quizling. Yeah, Q is for, well, maybe not, not that word, but Q is for quiz. Yeah, um, I've, I've got a quiz for you both if you'd like to 
indulge in that. Um, mm-hmm. Just on the advice of my uh, my solicitors before we get started, I'm just going to say I've never even heard of Popmaster or of Ken Bruce if he, or even of BBC Radio 2. So any similarities, persons, events or quiz formats is entirely coincidental. <laughs> um, but uh, I'm just going to go into Quizmaster mode, so I prepare yourselves for that. Hello, welcome to Quartermaster, the very one-off 007 quiz show, where each of our contestants has 10 questions about Bond, James Bond, on screen, off screen, and all over the place. Each contestant will have a choice of two specialist subjects. Each correct answer they give me is worth one point, and the player with the most points at the end of the quiz wins. For the winner, I have the standard DAB digital radio, but if you look closely and twist this volume dial to the right, it turns into a portable rocket launcher that also blows women's tops off. For the runner-up, I have a pair of ordinary Bluetooth headphones that anyone can connect to, so depending on what century you're in, you might catch Bond doing sex noises, or you might pick up Christoph Waltz gloating about your fret girlfriend's sudden yet inevitable betrayal. In terms of conditions supply, contestants will not actually receive any prizes I've made up as cheap gags. Now, pay attention. First today is Brendan from Northampton. How are you, Brendan? Are you a big James Bond fan? I I am. I started a podcast about it. Well, that's very good. You're going to get 10 questions. Um, each one is worth one point. Your specialist subject round, your bonus questions, will be worth two points for each correct answer. You have a choice now of specialist subjects. Would you like James Bonds or James Bond villains? James so Bond. Bonds or Bond villains? Bonds, Bonds. yes. Yeah. Okay. So the bonus round will come in the middle. And um, these aren't going to be timed, but I am going to ask you to give me an answer in a reasonable time. I will shout, uh, Roger's walking, which means you have five seconds, because that's roughly <laughs> the amount of time in the opening gun barrels that Roger Moore takes by his last film to get to the middle of the screen and shoot you. Okay. Here we go, Brendan. Good luck. Here is your first question. Q is for Quantum of Solace. Though affected by the 2007-2008 writer's strike, Quantum of Solace is credited to Neil Purvis, Robert Wade, and which other returning Bond screenwriter? Oh, no. Why is it a quantum question? Roger's walking. Oh. I don't know. That is Paul Haggis was the answer for number one. Number two, Q is for quitting. In what year did George Lazenby make his first and last appearance as Bond? 1969. Correct. Uh, Question number three, Q is for Q Branch. In the Q Branch scene in Goldeneye, Pierce Brosnan inadvertently name drops a future theme song title. What is the name of the song? Name of that song that he names in Goldeneye? Roger's Walking. Spectre. It's, it's, song, it's not the name of the song. It's <laughs> writings on the wall. He shows him the exploding pen and he says the oh, writings on the wall. Oh, uh, number four, Q. Q is for Q. Um, some of these subjects may have come up earlier in the episode, by the way. Q is simply for Q. Desmond Llewellyn, in this case. In which 1968 Cubby Broccoli production does Desmond Llewellyn play a character called Mr. Coggins? Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. It is Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. On to your... Bonus questions now. Q is for quotes for the next three questions. You picked James Bond, so you're going to hear three quotes from James Bond in different films. All you have to do is tell me in which film Bond says each of these quotes. Each correct answer is worth two points. We just want the name of the film. So, question five. In which film does Bond say, that's just as bad as listening to the Beatles without the earmuffs? Goldfinger. Correct. 
Uh, number six, maybe I misjudged Stromberg. Any man who drinks Dom Perignon 52 can't be all bad. Spy left me. Correct. And uh, question number seven, I'll do anything for a woman with a knife. Rogers walking. Octopussy. It's not, it's license to kill. Just uh, to Pam Bouvier. Yeah, of course. Um, back to regular questions. Q is for Quantum. What is the name of the opera that the Quantum lads go and see for their work night out at the Bregan's Opera House? What? <laughs> oh, just walking. No, I don't know. It's Tosca. Uh, number nine. Q is for Quarters. Headquarters. Which James Bond film finds MI6 quartered on the wreck of the Queen Elizabeth II ocean liner? Roach is walking, and it's one of his. You'd be surprised to hear. For your eyes only? It's the man with the golden gun. And question 10, last question for this round. Um, Q is for Quids In. Which of these films grossed more at the UK box office to date? Casino Royale or Quantum of Solace? Casino Royale. It is Casino Royale. Well done, Brendan. After that round, you have a total oh. of seven points. Oh, boy. Uh, today's next contestant is Tom from Lincoln. Welcome to Quartermasters. Do you think you can top Brendan's performance in that round? I think he did very well, but um, I'm hope hopefully your questions will be a bit, be a bit more forgiving for me, Mark. Uh, <laughs> they won't. <laughs> you have seven, po um, seven points to beat. Your specialist subject choices for your bonus round are Bond Girls or Bond Songs? Oh, God. Bond Songs. Bond songs it is. Question number one in your general Bond questions. Uh, Q is for Q branch. Um, in the opening of The World Is Not Enough, Bond activates a detonator concealed inside what wearable accessory? Uh, Roger's walking. A shoe. It's his glasses. Oh, number two, uh, Q is for Quist. Which Bond film features a Spectre operative called Quist, played oh, by God. Bill Cummings? <laughs> Quist, I know it, I know it. I can see him. Roger's walking. <laughs> oh, is it Thunderball? It, it, it is Thunderball. Yeah, well done. Oh, hey. I just will check myself there for a second. <laughs> uh, Q is for Quantum. Uh, which lit British comedy actor plays Guy Haynes, special envoy to the UK Prime Minister and secret member of Quantum in Quantum of Solace? Uh, his name, he died recently. His name's Paul. Oh, he's in fr Friday Night Dinner. Roger's walking. Oh, his name is something. No, the name escapes me. It's Paul Ritter, the late oh. Paul Ritter. Uh, number four, Q is for Q. This is another Desmond Llewellyn question. In which 1963 historical epic does Desmond Llewellyn play a senator serving a very different queen and country? This one was mentioned earlier in the episode. Oh, is it Passport Roger's Walking? It's not, it's Cleopatra. Oh. Uh, Q is for quotes again. Uh, you picked Bond songs, didn't you? Yep. Yeah. So you're going to hear quotes from the lyrics of Bond songs. All you have to do is name the title of the song. We don't want the name of the film, the title of the song. Okay. So number five, which Bond song features the lyric, All I Wanted Was a Sweet Distraction for an Hour or Two? Oh, it's All Time High. Yes, it is. Well done. Um, number six, uh, if that's all we have, you will find we need nothing more from which Bond song? Can I hear it again? If that's all we have, you will find we need nothing more. Roger's walking. Why is it no time to die? 
it's We Have All the Time in the World, which oh. does feature in No Time to Die, of course. Uh, number seven, I'll tease and tantalize with every line till you are mine. What's the name of the Bond song? Oh. Diamonds are forever. Don't know. It's Surrender from the End of Tomorrow Never Dies. <laughs> you definitely picked the, the harder of the two specialist subjects on that one. Wow. I have to say, Tom. Uh, but between you, uh, between the two of you, that's it for quarter. You've had your six. Whoop, one more there. Uh, back to general knowledge questions. Oh, question number eight. Q is for Queen and Country. What is the official title of the Danny Boyle-directed short featuring James Bond and Queen Elizabeth II parachuting into the 2012 Olympic opening ceremony? Oh, it's called Pride and... Uh... Pride and Glory? It's not. It's called Happy and Glorious. Ah, Happy and Glorious. It's close. (laughs) Number nine. Q is for Quarters, Headquarters. In which Bond film is the villain hiding out in St. Cyril's Monastery? For your eyes only. It is for your eyes only. St. (laughs) Cyril's. And number ten. Q is for Quidzim once again. Which film has grossed more at the UK box office to date? Skyfall or No Time to Die? No time to die. No, sorry, no Skyfall. I have to take the first answer. Oh, it is in fact Skyfall. Oh. <laughs> uh, not bad. Well done, all right there, Tom. You got four points, but with seven points, Brendan is today's winner. Wow, there wow. you go. Prizes will not be given. Thank you for playing Quartermaster. Can I have a signed photo, please, Mark? <sighs> oh, sorry, I'm, I'm back. How long was I out? <laughs> <laughs> Have we done the quiz? Okay. That's it, that's it. I think that was brilliant, Smash. Mark. Thank you so much. I look forward to hearing that. Oh, yeah, l- like can that. I just say hello to everyone that knows me? Yes, go on, you've got 13 seconds. <laughs> uh, this was fun, chaps. Yeah, well, thank you so much for joining us, Mark, and thank you for listening. And um, as all, uh, uh, just a little reminder, we want your your favourite underappreciated James Bond movie moments for our anniversary special uh, you can record them, send them to us, um, make sure they're under uh, two minutes in length, we want an audio clip, I've had some emails in with the list but we want it as an audio clip send them to podcast at jamesbond80z.co.uk and then you could be on the show but Brendan, where do people find us on social media? At James Bond A to Z on Facebook Instagram and Twitter Yes, so please uh, follow us on there Give us a like and subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. Mark, how do people find you? Hey, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at mharrison90. Um, I also write, uh, I'm doing weekly Bond features at the time recording um, to coincide with the cinema re-releases over on filmstories.co.uk. If you enjoyed the quiz bits, you can also follow um, Film Quiz Friday. There's a 30-question film quiz uh, every Friday morning for you to have a go at there. Um, Probably as difficult as that one was. I don't know what the other guy was doing for you there, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> what quiz hole quiz doing for you there. But uh, I'm back in the room, and as I said, uh, yeah, enjoy those quizzes and Bond articles if you like. Yeah, I mean, they'll probably, they might even be all be out by the time this uh, you, you hear this, or if you're listening to this in the future, and they are terrific. I think Mark's got a very uh, good anal- analytical eye for Bond. So uh, it's a pleasure to have you back, Mark. Hopefully, we'll have you on again before the. The show reaches the letter Z. Oh, cheers. Anytime. Yeah. So it just remains for me to say that the James Bond A to Z podcast will return next week. And we're talking Quantum of Solace. Thanks for listening. Bye. Ciao. The James Bond A to Z podcast is hosted and produced by Tom Butler and Brendan Duffy. With music by Tom Ingemals 
and artwork by Helen Dolly. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thanks for listening. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.